Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not even clear if he knew him or if he had even met him before. But he was his hero, John the Baptist and Jesus. Both their conceptions had happened in miraculous ways, differently but miraculously. Some say they were cousins, maybe, but clearly they were relatives because Elizabeth and Mary were relatives. You can't go wrong with that. The angel Gabriel had said that John would go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make a people ready for the Lord's coming. He did just that. At some point in his life, John was living in the wilderness. One day, when he was engaged in the fierce urgency of his preaching of repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sins, he saw him coming, his hero coming, walking toward him, even though he did not know him. He saw Jesus coming, and he recognized him by a revelation that God had given him. When he saw Jesus coming toward him to be baptized, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had seen him with his own eyes, the Son of God. Maybe this one time, all that he had deprived himself of, living in the wilderness, eating a strange diet of locusts and wild honey, wearing clothing made of camel's hair to deliver his message, will be fulfilled in a short time, or so he thought. He had proclaimed powerfully, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Those who were engaging in phony repentance, he had warned severely, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am unworthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. These are words you will say about your mighty hero, and you are certain that the words you have spoken will be fulfilled literally in a very short time. You proclaim powerfully, with urgency. If you have such a hero, you fear no foe. You don't care who it is, you will speak the unvarnished truth. John had become wildly popular with the ordinary folk, with fearless soldiers. Even the religious leaders were coming, even though they did not see the need for any true repentance on their part. But just in case John's message was true, they would go to the wilderness to receive his baptism. He fearlessly told Herod Antipas that he could not marry his brother Philip's wife. That infuriated Herod so much, he arrested John and put him in prison. That is where John was languishing when he sent his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? He himself hadn't seen Jesus perform miracles, but he was hearing from prison that Jesus was doing them. He was in jail, and Jesus had not gone to visit him. 
His hero, whose sandals he was not fit to carry, was in the neighborhood and wasn't even coming to visit him. Maybe he had been too quick and too bold to proclaim the message about Jesus. Maybe he had misunderstood what his mission was. Maybe Jesus was not really the one. If you are going through a crisis, if the word of God has brought you so much trouble and you are looking at a strong possibility that you are going to be tortured and then executed, doubt will have a way of creeping into your mind. Many Christians do not think that John could have had any doubt about the true identity of Jesus. After all, he had preached so powerfully about him, had identified him, and had baptized him. He had been so hesitant to baptize him because he recognized him as the chosen one, the son of God. How could he then have second thoughts about him? Perhaps you have your own questions regarding why John had such a pointed question for Jesus. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Did John ask this question for his own sake or only to assist those who were still his disciples that Jesus was the one? Even though it may feel pious to believe that John could not possibly have entertained any doubts about the identity of Jesus, it should not be a matter of piety. He had his doubts, especially given his current situation. That does not mean that he no longer believed the wonderful things he had said about Jesus and the fiery end he said Jesus was going to bring to the world. John had simply not fully understood what he had proclaimed. What he had proclaimed about Jesus was the truth, but he had not fully understood what his proclamation meant. In his mind, Jesus should have acted immediately, making sure that his followers would be saved from their enemies, especially the ones like Herod, who seemed to wield all power and wield it brutally. If Jesus was the one, he would spring him from prison or eliminate Herod completely. But here he was, in Herod's prison, all alone, simply because he spoke the word of God to him. And this is a word that Jesus himself would agree with. There have been people before John, people we might also consider spiritual giants, who struggled with life under God. They went from faith to doubt and back to faith again. In Exodus chapter 5, we read that Moses said to God, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. After Elijah had the priests of Baal killed because they failed in the contest about whose God was a true God, Queen Jezebel threatened to kill him. Elijah fled for his life. After riding for a whole day, he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. God did restore him to faith and eventually took him to heaven alive. Jeremiah the prophet said to God, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day. Everyone mocks me. He also said of himself, Curse be the day I was born. 
May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? We don't need to conclude that they, along with John, completely lost all faith. We know God strengthened them, and he still used them. In the case of John, Herod would have him beheaded to satisfy his illegitimate wife and to fulfill his own boastful promise to her and to his guests. Jesus replied to the disciples of John who brought his question, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else with the things he had been doing? He said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is a man who does not fall away on account of me. This reply was meant to assuage the doubts of John and to comfort him in his situation. We have to assume that it reached him and did just that, so that by the time Herod beheaded him, he was at peace with God. His faith had been restored. His message about Jesus had been confirmed. God keeps his word. In his book, Horns and Halos, Dr. Wallace Hamilton tells about one of the weirdest auction sales in history. It was held in Washington, D.C. in 1926. There were 150,000 patented models in all, and all, of all inventions. They had been declared obsolete and placed on the auction block for public auction. Prospective buyers and onlookers chuckled as item after item was put up for bid. There were items such as a bedbug buster. There was an illuminated cat that was designed to scare away mice. A device to prevent snoring was also on the block. It consisted of a trumpet that reached from the mouth to the ear. It was designed to awaken the snorer and not the neighbors. And then there was the adjustable pulpit that could be raised or lowered according to the height of the preacher. We might say that this auction of all patent models was worth at least 150,000 laughs. But if we think about the situation a little bit more deeply, we would discover that these 150,000 old patent models also represent 150,000 broken dreams. They represented a mountain of disappointments. It may seem out of place to talk about broken dreams and disappointments this close to Christmas. After all, it is supposed to be a joyful season. But it is not joyful for everybody. It can, in fact, be a lonely time of the year. And in a world where materialism is highly treasured, those who are struggling financially may find the season completely unwelcoming. It is appropriate to call these moments John the Baptist moments. There are many of them. Perhaps you have your own real John the Baptist moments, moments that are not funny, but very serious. So serious, in fact, that you've had your own struggles with God about them. 
Maybe you wrestle with God about them and are still wrestling with them. You wonder, where is God in all of this struggle that I'm having? What is God's word for me in all of this? Problems should not be deal breakers in your walk with God. Perhaps for you, it is health. When you are facing very serious health challenges that are despairing for you and making you question whether or not Jesus really understands or cares about it, our text tells you that he knows. It tells you that he cares. It does not mean that he will restore you to health, although he might. It does mean that he is in it with you. Health challenges should not be deal breakers when the Son of God himself gave his very life for you. Maybe it is trouble in the family that has not gone away after much prayer. You believe in Jesus. You are in church regularly. You read your Bible. But the issues persist, and you wonder, is it because of you? Is there some secret you haven't figured out yet? Has Jesus abandoned you? Jesus assures you that a family issue is not a deal breaker with him. He still has the most important relationship with you as your savior. You are a member of his family. Count yourself in because he has counted you in. Jesus praised John when he said, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But in the same breath, he seemed to bring him down. He said, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. A question that might pop up into your mind when you hear this is, there is someone other than Jesus who is greater than John? Perhaps you are greater than John, even in your John the Baptist moments. Far be it from you or from me as well that we should consider ourselves greater than John, the one who prepared the way for Jesus. But that is not a declaration from me. It is a declaration from Jesus Christ. That does not mean, of course, that Jesus is consigning John to a second-class citizenship status. John believed in Jesus in spite of his moment of doubt when everything seemed against him. When it comes to Jesus, everyone who believes in him is one of the least. So John is our brother in the faith. He did not lose his place as a member of the family of Jesus. The message Jesus sent to John was that his being in prison and facing death should not be a deal breaker. He should count himself in because Jesus counted him in. What happened to him, even though he had been faithful in word and deed, should not be a deal breaker. God's love and recognition for him and his work did not diminish even though he was in prison. God's love for you is not diminished by any hardships in your life. Nothing will change that. Nothing will change his love for you. And so with that in mind, wait patiently until he comes to make all things new. Amen.